glad that you have the opportunity to share with people around you. You're probably saying, why is Fred up there already? You know? <clears throat> and I just wanted you to know that I have a 55-minute sermon today, so we cut out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Every once in a while, we try to change things around to make uh, the opportunity to make some emphasis on some things. And so today, we moved the sermon up, and so that's why I'm up here a little bit early today. And I'm glad you're here. I really am. I'm glad you're joining us live streaming, if that's the case. And if you are in the area, we'd love to have you join us at some point in time. And uh, we're glad you're here. How many of you this morning, uh, getting dressed, especially men, uh, had to let out one belt loop? Okay, yeah, I I saw several hands, but yeah. And uh, how many of you have any pie left over? Just a few. And and guess what? Most of them are women's hands. And the guys are going, no, I think I ate that, you know. And so uh, I'm glad you had a great holiday. I'm hoping that uh, you had a good fellowship. Uh, during that time. And today we're going to finish up our sermon series on the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, what that means in our lives. And so before we dig into that and talk about that very thing here today, I want us to pray together and get our minds ready to see what God has to say in His Word, okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we come before you today because you are a good God. And Father, you blessed us, and so we are thankful for your blessing. And Father, even if sometimes the circumstances here on this earth aren't so good for us, Lord, we know that because you provided our salvation through Jesus, that you're good. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege of looking at uh, this message this morning. I pray, Lord, that we'll be able to take something with us that will help us to live life more effectively for you. And Father, we pray that as we live it out, others will be drawn to you. And Father, we just ask you'll give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are wide open, so that we can apply what's in your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You ever ask yourself, why do we do the things we do? You ever ask that question? Why do you do the things you do every day? Many times it's because of habit. You know, we do the same things every day. We have a routine that we might fall into. There are certain things that that we do. And sometimes we do what we do out of habit. Sometimes we do the things we do out of emotion. You know, we get angry about something and and we, we have a tendency to let that anger control us. And so we do something or say something that we didn't necessarily want to do, but we did it anyway. And so sometimes emotion takes over. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's fear. I mean, I can tell you that many of us have done things out of fear over the years that um, we probably wouldn't have done without that fear. I can tell you this. uh, When I was young, uh, real young, if I heard my full given name, Yeah, see, you know what I'm talking about. When I heard my mom, and I can still hear it today in my mind, when I heard my mom say, Robert, Frederick, out of fear, I did whatever I needed to do to still stay alive, you know? Because you operate out of fear sometimes, right? Sometimes that's true. How about about the influence of other people in your life? How about those who are around you? Maybe they're friends or 
co-workers and you have a tendency to watch and see and maybe you follow a suit and you do what they do. And I learned a long time ago, growing up with my parents and my dad in the military, he always used that old phrase, you've probably heard it, and he used to say to me, he'd say, if everybody else jumps off the cliff, will you? Well, the obvious answer is no, Dad, I'm not going to jump. Just because everybody, well, he said, that's the influence. And so I learned early on that you don't follow the trends necessarily. And that you live to do that which is right, you know, and good in your life. And sometimes we, we, we do th- what we do in life out of a reaction. You know, we react to something, and, and uh, we react with our, our emotions. We react with our physical responses, uh, that kind of thing. I, I'll never forget watching. Um, how many of you ever watched Funniest Home Videos? You ever seen that on ABC sometime? And several years ago, uh, there was this guy. He decided to scare his wife when she came in at the end of the day. And she walked in the front door, and he jumped out from, like, this side hallway. And he's, whoa, you did one of those, hey, like that, like that. And she let loose and punched him right in the grill. I mean, she just went like that. It dropped him. He went to the ground. I mean, he, he had a bloody lip, the whole thing. She did it out of reaction. She probably didn't mean to do that, but that was her reaction. And sometimes we do what we do out of reaction. It's a reflex. And we respond to something in life by doing that. So, you know, we sometimes have to ask that question, why do we do what we do? But another question we we have to ask is, why do we worship? Why do we do what we do in worship? Do we do what we do in worship uh, out of of, uh, habit or we do it out of reverence for God? I mean, sometimes it's easy to say, what, 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 what are you doing tomorrow morning? Well, I, I'm going to get up and I'm, I go to church and then I'll come home. It's almost like a habit. Instead of saying, man, I'm going to go and I'm going to worship the one most holy, reverent God. And I'm going to do it with others of like faith. And it's going to be an experience I won't forget for the rest of the week. Is that your response? You know, why do we do what we do in worship. Do we, do we do it out of emotion? I mean, in the same kind of thing we do in life, do we do it out of emotion? And do we do it because our emotions are anger with, with God or we're fearful of God? Or is it because we have joy in the hope that he's given us in Jesus Christ? Hmm. Why do we do what we do in worship? Do we do it because we give thanks? When we just went through a special day and we... We gave thanks, I'm sure, in our prayers and, and in our family units and that kind of thing. But, but do we still come here and give thanks in our worship? Why do we do what we do in worship? Well, today's story about the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, kind of leans into that very thing. It leans into the idea of worship and it leans into the idea of what God is expecting and seeing in our lives as we worship Him. And so today I want you to take your Bibles or your phones or your devices, your tablets, and I want you to go to the Old Testament, 2 Samuel, and the 6th chapter. Now we're going to read the whole chapter. Now don't get scared here, you know, because it's only 23 verses. But as I read it, I also want to give you a little bit of commentary as we read it. And at the end of that reading, I want to ask you two questions. I want to ask you two questions about worship 
that hopefully uh, you'll be able to apply in your life. Beginning in 2 Samuel and the chapter 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 men in all. That's a lot. That's a lot. And he and all of his men set out from Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. And they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. And David and the whole house of Israel, they were celebrating with all their might before the Lord and with songs and with harps and lyres and tambourines and sistrums and cymbals. Now, a sistrum is simply a little metal tinny uh, instrument that they used to play in the Hebrew worship. And when they would shake it, it had little wires that were inside of it and gave kind of a tinny sound to it. And that was part of their worship. Now, did you notice what happened when they were bringing the ark of God out of Kiriath-Jerim, which is where we left it last week, remember? How many years was it there? 20 years. And finally, David decided to bring it back home and bring it to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel and still is in God's mind. God will never change that. Politicians might try. God never will. Be biblical in your judgments, not political. And so he was going to bring it back to Jerusalem, which was the capital, which is where he lived, and the palace. And notice again, I want to show you five again. David and the whole house of Israel, they were celebrating with all their might. When you see that phrase, with all their might, it means with everything they had. It wasn't out of habit. It wasn't out of anger. It wasn't out of fear. It was out of joy and reverence for a holy God that they were going to have the presence of the ark once again in Jerusalem. So when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. In other words, the oxen were struggling, the cart began to waver, the ark was sliding around, and so Uzzah put his hand out, put it on the ark. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, what did God say about touching the ark? You better not do that. Even if it's going to tumble, you don't touch the ark. Well, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. What was the irreverent act? Trying to save the ark? No, it was disobedience to the Almighty God. If God let it fall, he would let it fall. If God was going to keep it balanced on the cart, he'd keep it balanced on the cart. He didn't need anybody else to help him. When you're disobedient to God, then you expect to be disciplined by God. Okay? And therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Now remember last week in the story, how many men died because they looked inside the ark? Anybody? Seventy. Yeah, that's right, seventy. Seventy men. Because God said what? Don't touch it. Don't look in it. Hmm. 
Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perer Uzzah. Now, Perer Uzzah, Perez in the English, means in the Hebrew, uh, outbreak against Uzzah. Okay? So David was afraid of the Lord that day. Why was he afraid of the Lord? Two reasons. Number one, he saw the power of God. Number two, he got angry with God. You ever been angry with God? You ever been mad at the Almighty? You know? That should make you a little bit fearful then. That you're mad at God for what he deemed reasonable. And he said to God, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? In other words, how can it be in my presence in Jerusalem? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. I guess they didn't touch it. I guess they didn't look inside it. They just knew it was representative of the presence of God in their home. Hmm. So now King David was told that the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of the Lord. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, and he did it with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now, some commentators say every six steps they stopped and made a sacrifice. That's not necessarily the case. You could read that into it here. What I think it means in the Hebrew text is that as they began, they took six steps and they didn't want to take the seventh, which could be a very perfect number. And so they sacrificed and offered an offering to God and then they continued their journey. Okay? They didn't stop every six, according to what I found in my studies. And so uh, they sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. David was wearing a linen ephod, and he danced before the Lord with all of his might. Now, have you noticed what's happened here so far with the ark in the presence of David? He's been rejoicing. He's been giving worship with everything he has. He worships with all his might. And there's rejoicing going on. <clears throat> And while he and the entire house of Israel, while they were bringing up the ark of the Lord, they did it with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, also the wife of David, okay, she watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing in front of the Lord, she despised him in her heart. What? I've always been perplexed by that. The first time I read that as a freshman in Bible college, I thought, what? She despised David just because he was worshiping? Yeah. Yeah, I think there were other things. They didn't have a good marriage. Things weren't good at home. And so I think there were other things beside his worshiping the Lord. Well, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. Now, after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, listen now, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. 
Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went on to their homes, and they felt blessed. Now when David returned home to bless his own household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him, his own wife, and she said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls and of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Hmm, that's a nice welcome home, honey, you know. Well, all of the house of Israel... While all of the men that went with him, while everybody celebrated and worshiped the Lord, Michael, his own wife, the daughter of Saul, stood in a window and felt despise, despisement for David. And then she didn't worship. She didn't worship. She was just critical of David. Hmm. So when David returned home, You've read that and saw what she said in verse 21. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. I worship before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me the ruler over the Lord's people Israel. Now, let me stop there just for a minute and say, just because David was worshiping and doing the right thing there, it doesn't give him the right to say this to her. If we were going to preach a marriage sermon on this text... We could do about three weeks on it. But that's not what I'm doing here today. This is a great example of how marriages fall apart. It's a great example of how people treat one another in marriage. But we're not going to do that here today. We'll save that for another time. But he started being almost critical and antagonistic against her. And he said, I will celebrate the Lord. You know what? In fact, he said, I'll become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Hmm. Sounded like he was trying to throw a few darts himself, wasn't he? And verse 23 is a sad ending to this chapter. It says, and Michael, the wife of David, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the very day of her death. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on verse 23, but we need to acknowledge the fact that she never had a child. Most commentators, not all, but most commentators will tell you that's because uh, she and David never consummated their marriage and he refused to be with her, and so she never became pregnant. And so she died without ever having a baby. That's what most believe. Others believe that God did not bless her because of her attitude, because of what she was doing, and being critical toward the worship that was being given by the house of Israel. Those commentators are less than the others, okay? So there's chapter 23. There's chapter 23. Two questions I want to ask you here today. Two questions that should help you apply something from this text into your life. And here's the first question, and I want you to see this. What is our attitude for worship? What's our attitude for worship? If you look at King David, man, he was worshiping with everything he had. He was worshiping with all of his might. I mean, he was giving it all he had. He was uh, dancing and singing 
Uh, I mean, he was leading the way. He was out in front of the ark. He allowed the people to see him, and the house of Israel followed suit. And so he was giving it everything he had. In fact, if you look in verse 21, again, uh, chapter 6, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord, in front of God, that I was worshiping. It's in front of God. And then at the end he says, and I will celebrate before the Lord. There's not anything that's going to stop me from worshiping God. Not you, not anyone else. That was his attitude. He was going to give worship to God. Now, when you talk about worship in our lives, you talk about everyday living, don't you? It's not just when you come to the church building. It's not just when you get together with a group of people to sing and, and have a devotional thought. It's a matter of living out a lifestyle of worship before the Lord. It's every single day that you worship. Where you work, where you live, where you shop, where you buy gas, you need to be worshiping God and do it with everything you've got because that's what God requires of you. That's what he wants from you. And so David carried that out. David did it with everything he had. The nation of Israel followed suit. The Bible says they were doing it with, with trumpets and shouts of praise, and they were following suit. They were doing it all, just like David was. And so those 30,000 men who went, which, by the way, you know why he took 30,000 men, right? Because other nations were still trying to war against Israel. And so David took 30,000 men not only to get the ark back home safely, but to protect him. Smart move, okay? Those 30,000 men, the nation of Israel, they were all worshiping with everything they had, with shouts of praise, with trumpets being played. They were worshiping the Lord with everything they could muster inside of themselves so that he'd receive the glory. I mean, isn't that what God calls for us to do? That he wants us to do the very same thing? Now, here's the problem. Michael chose a different attitude, didn't she? Of everybody mentioned in the text, of everybody given to us in, in chapter 6, in the 23 verses, she's the only one mentioned that had a critical spirit. She's the only one mentioned that didn't worship that day. Now, there may have been a few more. We don't know specifically. But when it says the whole house of Israel, that pretty much gives us an idea that the whole nation was rejoicing. But not Michael. She chose a different attitude. She chose an attitude that was critical in her spirit. And let me say this about having a critical spirit. If you have a critical spirit in your life, then you, it will not allow you to worship. If you have a critical spirit in your life, like Michael had in this chapter, it will not allow you to worship. For example, if you came in this morning and you were going to come to worship, but you came in, you have something against someone and you're feeling uh, bad uh, feelings towards someone and you got a, a confrontation or conflict with someone in your life and you're critical of that individual, how are you going to worship? How are you going to worship? If that's what's in your heart, how are you going to worship? Or if you don't like something that's going on, the circumstances around you. Or if you don't like uh, what's being done in, in the church. You know, I can imagine that probably a few here this morning, when I got up here to preach early, 
all of a sudden you had a critical thought in your mind of, oh, man, they're changing things around. <laughs> did that keep you in worship? Or did it throw you off? Hmm. You see, a critical spirit will never allow you to worship the Lord God Almighty in the way that he deserves. It'll keep you from doing that. And so you got to choose your attitude. What's your attitude in worship? Is it good or is it bad? And that's the one thing you got to understand about your attitude in worship. You can choose that attitude. You get to choose your attitude every single day. You get to choose what you're going to do and say and how you're going to feel. You get to do that every single day. It's a choice. It's a choice in life. And when you go to worship, it's the same thing. So what is your attitude in worship? That's important for you to choose. And then the second question here today that you need to consider is this. What is the reason we worship? What's the reason we worship? I've got one word to answer that question. God. That's the reason. That's the reason we worship. It's God. There's nothing else. There is no one else. God is the reason that we worship. And if you notice that in this story, it was about getting the ark of God back to Jerusalem so that the symbol or the symbolism of the ark and the presence of God might be in Jerusalem, and that fostered worship. It was God. God is the answer to that question. Now, in your mind, you might be thinking there's got to be some other stuff. Nope. Not biblically, there's not. Not theologically, there's not. There is no other reason to worship except Him, God. That's the only reason we have. Now, you may enjoy worship for several different reasons. You may enjoy all kinds of things about it, but it's about the presence of God in your life. We worship because of God's presence with us and in us. Now, I told you last week that God's presence is in you in, in the mere presence of His Holy Spirit, right? Acts 2.38 says you've got to repent and be immersed, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, so you receive the forgiveness of sin and an indwelling gift of God's Holy Spirit. Now, that indwelling gift of God's Holy Spirit is His presence with you every single day. You need to practice the presence of God. Because when you practice the presence of God, it allows you to worship in a better way. Because He's the reason. He's the reason for worship. He's the reason that we do that. God is with you and He is in you through His Holy Spirit, so you will never walk alone. How many of you remember that old song? You know, it was never really written as a gospel song, but they took it and they used it as a gospel song many different times. Let me remind you of the words. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm is the golden sky and the sweet silver song of the lark. So walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. No, 
you'll never walk alone. You see, when you practice the presence of God, you don't have to walk alone. And he is the reason that we worship. And if you have any other reason, get rid of it, because it's not going to be a good one. And you need to concentrate on the fact that as I practice the presence of God, I'm going to worship him for who he is, not just for what he has done. Catch that again. I'm going to say it again. We worship God because of who he is, not just for what he has done. And when you do that, my friends, you're going to be doing what God has called for you to do. You may just at some point break out in worship. You may at some point just break out and begin to praise Him. You may just break, you may be in a car and you may be all of a sudden worshiping and praising the Lord and the people driving next to you think you're really weird, but you're not because you're worshiping. How many of you have ever seen somebody singing while they drive? Have you ever seen somebody beating on the steering wheel? You know? Or on the dash, you know? I'm just hoping they're holding on to the steering wheel, you know? Sometimes they're worshiping. Sometimes. You see, when we worship God, we receive a blessing. If you notice back in the text in chapter 6 and in verse 18, what did it tell you? It simply said, after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He didn't bless them and say, hey, look, see, here's what I'm going to give to you. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to bless you in the name of the Lord. And that's why they worshiped. And that's why they gave him praise. God is the reason. For your worship. So when you practice his presence and you focus on God and you choose the proper attitude for worship, God will bless you in ways you never dreamed of, ways you never thought of. So what's the reason? It's God. You might be saying, you know, I don't, I don't see the blessing of God in my life right now. I don't, I don't see what he's doing. I, I, I'm having trouble seeing what he's doing in my life. Maybe it's because you haven't yet surrendered to him. Maybe it's because you haven't yet given it all to him. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because you haven't yet figured out how to let go of the stuff in life and give him first place. You can do that today. You can do that today. Right where you stand, you can pray a prayer and ask God to be the priority in your life. You can ask him for blessing. If you need to be prayed for, you can come down front and use the steps. We have prayer partners who can come and pray with you. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never before given him the first place in your life by receiving Jesus as your Savior, you can do that today as well. Whatever you need to do, do that in the name of the Lord, okay? And make sure that when you worship, you worship him. You worship him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege we have to be here today. Just to be in your presence, Father, all together. Huh. That's a blessing.
And yet, Father, I know that we'll walk out into a tough world beginning tomorrow as we head back to work and we get uh, caught up in the things of this, this work day and work world and everything else. And God, sometimes we're going we're gonna to forget that we need to worship you with everything we've got every single day. So God, remind us of that. And Father, I pray for those who are here today who need to make that decision to let you be the priority in their life. I pray, God, that they'll make that today if there's someone who needs to receive Jesus for the very first time and begin to walk in worship. Then I pray they'll come and they'll do that today. Thank you for Jesus who makes all this possible. And thank you, Father, for your presence in our lives. I'm grateful that we never walk alone. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. When we stand, why don't we sing together, and why don't we ask God to help us make that decision that we need to make.